We're talking about the almost. And if you understand that we're in a series within a series and kind of a sermon within a sermon because we're in a story within a story because we've been talking about um, Jesus who just healed the woman with the issue of blood. And this is big, but it's happening within another story. And by the way, just for the record, after last week, um, and this went across all of our sites, I got lots of emails from wonderful people who are explaining to me that I was saying the name Jairus wrong, right? You guys are like, mm, that's not how it's said. It's, it's Jairus. Or it's Jairus. And then I looked it up and I realized there's 131 different pronunciations of the name Jairus or Jairus. 131. So this is what I have to say to all of you who told me I was doing it wrong. Shut up. Because <laughs> according to 131 different pronunciations, I could have said blah, 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 and it would have been almost right. <laughs> okay, so I, and here, just for the record, I said it wrong, and then I just kind of had to own it, so I said it wrong the whole rest of the time, because then I couldn't figure out what was right. So I'm going to call it Jairus today, maybe, and if I say it wrong, you'll know who I'm talking about. Anyway, um, we're, we're in the midst of a story, so I'm going to ask you this question. Do you like drama? Because that's what's going on in this story, right? Do you like drama? Some of you, and I'm not asking if you're a drama queen or king, because there's those two. I'm not asking that, and you all know who you are. You know when you like drama a little bit. I'm saying, do you like, do you like a good drama? Because that's what's happening right now. We went and saw that movie, 1917. Man, that's a good movie. You need to see that. It's like running through World War I with one camera on you. It's exhausting. At one point, I looked at my wife, and she goes, I don't, I don't think I've breathed in the last five minutes. Like, dramas are good. And right now, we're in a story where the drama intensifies. Like, it's getting more. We're jumping back into the story of Jairus, his daughter. And remember that this was the original story going on. But because of the delay, we see now that the worst possible outcome has happened. So we'll jump into the text, Mark 5, 35. It says this, while he was still speaking to her, meaning the woman with the issue of blood. Now, we have a tendency to think that it went, bam, 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 because that's the way that Mark writes this stuff. So, so Jesus heals her. Immediately she's healed. She doesn't have any pain anymore. And then they're talking. Chances are they talked for a while because remember, with every miracle comes reconciliation. And so she probably hadn't talked to anyone kind of profoundly for a while. So she's now sharing with Jesus and they're talking. Of course, Jairus wants Jesus to come, but I, you know, you've just asked this guy, to come and lay hands on your kids. So you kind of have to wait and he's talking to this woman and then the messengers come up. Messengers arrive from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. So now hope is lost, right? And, and Jairus gotta be frustrated. Can you imagine? Because you get frustrated enough when you're just waiting for somebody to come and it takes a few minutes. Well, he's waiting for somebody to come heal his daughter and it's taking a while and now he gets the news, hey, your daughter's dead. Don't even bother Jesus. Just leave him alone, like it's fine. Hope is lost. Why bother Jesus if there's no hope? Now, I don't use this phrase often, but I think it's appropriate in this particular term. This is fake news, friends. It is just simply fake news. This is, this is the time where definitely fake news applies. Martin Luther King says this. Martin Luther King Jr., sorry, says this. We must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. Because we understand this. Where there is Jesus, there is always hope. There, where there is Jesus, there is always hope. And this is something that is hard for us to get a hold of in our lives. We keep thinking that our situations are lost causes. And if we lose hope, then maybe they will be. But hope has to be in the right thing. Because when we misplace hope, we truly might be in trouble. And I've said this before. Our faith is only as good as the object in which we put our faith 
in. This is why idolatry was such a big deal in scripture. In the same way, our hope is only as good as the place we put it. An idol is anything that misplaces Jesus in our lives. Some of us, you know, if we have faith in the markets, in our employers, in our employees, in our government, in our families even, we might have misplaced our hope and our trust. But when you put your hope and trust in Jesus, you understand that there is something that will transcend. So Jesus is talking to this woman. He hears what's going on over here. Jesus overheard them and he says to Jairus, listen, don't be afraid, just have faith. Don't be afraid, just have faith. Now that seems like an easy thing to say, but when you go into the word study a little bit, it's actually a little cooler than that because he says, don't be afraid, just have faith. But what he says is in the present tense, he says, keep believing. So what he really said is, don't be afraid, don't stop believing. And now you've got that song in your head, don't you? (laughs) That's right. Because that's what he said. He said, don't stop believing. He didn't say start believing. He said, don't stop believing. And he probably said it like this, don't stop believing. Hold on to that feeling. Why did Stephen Perry sing so high? (laughs) He was a man. But the song would not sound as good if he went, don't stop, believe. People would have been like, nah, gotta be up there. It has nothing to do with this text. (laughs) Other than the present tense, keep believing. You see, you see, Jairus needed to make a move from fear to faith. And this is one of the things that Jesus is so good at, changing our perspective from fear to faith, because those are the choices. And even in a seemingly hopeless situation, we can still choose faith. You see, this is the difference between people of faith and people who don't have faith. I speak a lot to faith-based, faith-driven healthcare um, providers, and, and I always tell them, listen, you are in a different business You're not in the same business as someone who just provides non-faith-based, faith-driven healthcare. Same thing with educators who are doing doing faith-based education or faith-driven education or whatever it is you do. If you are doing something faith-based or faith-driven, you are in a different business than people who do it with no faith because you have a different product to offer. The product that you have to offer is hope, and that hope, it transcends so listen, here's the thing. Faith-based healthcare providers, those pe- the people you work with are still gonna die eventually. You know that, right? Like your market share is eventually, like they're, we all, because you know, we all die. Listen, <laughs> I say that sometimes. And when I say that to people who work in hospitals, they're like, what? And I'm like, not now. Like they're not gonna die right now. They will eventually die. But you have something that you can give people that transcends that particular situation. Because that's eventually, you know, that's kind of when your market stops. But we have something that transcends that. If you're educators, you have something that transcends that. If you're a person of faith, you have something that transcends what the world has to offer. And so we don't live by fear. We live in faith, even in the hopeless situations. But really, we should say it this way. Do you have faith or does your faith have you? Because that determines how you're going to live. With respect to his daughter's circumstances, Jairus' future was closed. But with respect to Jesus, it's still open. See, faith is not something Jairus has, but something that has Jairus, carrying him from despair to hope, right? Jesus' authoritative word to Jairus is to not be fearful, but to believe. And it's fascinating that he says, Don't be afraid, keep believing, because fear and belief sometimes live in the same person, right? Sometimes we struggle with fear even though we believe. 
And that's why Jesus says, listen, you need to focus on this one thing. So the story continues. Then Jesus stopped the crowd. There's a lot going on, right? There's a spectacle of the woman and all this. So he stops the crowd, and he wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, and of course, Jairus. But Mark often has this kind of insider-outsider situation. Jesus wanted the people he knew had his back to be with him, and so he brought just them. And he probably left the disciples to deal with the crowd, is what I would have bet. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. Now, um, there's a reason for that. Because in first century Palestine at the time, part of the Jewish custom was that when someone died, you needed to immediately begin the mourning process. And so what they had is they had professional mourners, people who they paid to come in and mourn. By and large women who would um, just weep and wail. And in fact, uh, about 100 years later, about a century later, Rabbi Judah says this, even the poorest person in Israel should hire at least two flute players and one wailing woman. Again, the mourners who were usually women accompanied the body from their house to the grave, clapping their hands together and wailing, haunting laments. Could you imagine if that were your job? What a horrible job. Anyway, that was, that's what was going on. And if, if you've ever been into a situation right after someone dies, you understand that there's usually one of two ways that people express themselves. Either you walk into a home where someone has just died and it's very somber, very quiet, very respectful. Or the opposite can be true. I've walked into homes where someone has died and there's commotion and weeping and wailing and everyone's out of control. That, that, those are stressful, intense situations. So Jesus walks inside and he goes, hey, what's with all this commotion and weeping? And then he says something that they didn't necessarily understand. He says, the child isn't dead, she's only asleep. Now, if we were in the 19th century, so in the 1800s, if we were in the 19th century and we were interpreting this text, we would interpret this text relatively literally. Now, let me tell you why. Because in the 19th century, every so often, they would call someone dead who wasn't. And so they'd put them in a coffin and they would bury them. And every once in a while, someone would be walking through a cemetery and hear somebody yelling from their coffin, which I know is frightening, right? Like that is the stuff of horror movies, literally. But in the, in the 19th century, that sort of happened. So when they read this text, they were like, yeah, you should check because this girl's probably only asleep. Now, I don't think the text is telling us that the girl was asleep. The girl was actually dead. That's what the text implies. But if we were in the 19th century, that's how we would have read it. However, what we do know is that the crowd laughed at him. It says in Mark 5, verse 40. There's derision, right? They mocked him, which, which was not uncommon when Jesus would say stuff because Jesus would say stuff and they would make fun of him because they didn't understand what he was talking about. This happened with Jesus all the time. And by the way, it still happens when you are gathered with people who don't believe and you talk about your faith. People still make fun of you. They still think you're foolish. And by the way, that comes most clearly through from people who used to believe and don't believe anymore. There is derision that they have for you because they go, oh, 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 you, that's cute. You still believe the fairy tales they taught you when you were young right? This is what they don't understand. They didn't understand Jesus because while the world plays checkers, Jesus is fully engaged in the greatest game of chess ever played. If you know how to play checkers, you know there's not a lot of rules, right? You're supposed to do this or you do this and then you get to the other side and they king you and woo, and at the end of the day, nobody cares, right? 
But if you play chess, which is a world-class game, you know that there are a completely different set of rules. And you can't play chess with checker rules. You have to play chess with chess rules, one of which is that the horse gets to jump in an L. Why? No one knows. But whoever decided on that was like, this is going to mess with people forever. This guy goes like this. And you're like, well, like this? No, it can be like this too. And you're like, what? When you're learning how to play chess and you learn that rule, you're like a crazy person put that rule together. And they're like, yeah, but it makes all the difference in the world, right? This is why Jesus was always misunderstood because he was playing a different game. And this is why we, people of faith, are often misunderstood as well. You see, he saw the world differently and even had a different language for the world because he was living in a different world. Jesus lives in the almost and those are the rules that apply. So what seems foolish to very wise people is actually wisdom that God has given us. It says this in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. It says, instead, God chooses things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. The rules of the almost are different. So let's ask, what are those rules? Let's take a moment to familiarize ourselves with the rules that Jesus lived by, that we can access and live by as well. The first rule is this, you're never off the grid, ever, right? The connection with Jesus is never far away from you. You are always connected. And listen, we, we, we live in a connected world, and we have a tendency to talk about that negatively, but, but it's a reality that, that things are good. Some of us grew up when, like, you were happy that your cell phone worked. You were amazed that it did. There's, like, nine places in the county where it would work. Now, if it doesn't work, you don't know what to do. I watched my kids. We were driving up to Oregon, and um, it's fascinating when you're, when you're young and you grew up with a phone that's always connected, and all of a sudden it's not connected. The, the confusion that happens in the car... Like, you can see it, they're like. And they're like, hey man, does your, your phone work? And the other one's like, yeah, yeah, yeah my phone works. Because that's weird, because sometimes in the car, like one person's phone will work and the next one's won't, and the same phone, like maybe somebody has more like antenna in them or something, I don't know. And they're like, no, yeah, it works. Oh no, no, it doesn't work. <laughs> the other one looks. They're like, dad. And I'm like, I... I'm like, yeah, we're probably just out of service. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, your phone doesn't work because it's not connected to anything. And they're like, what are we supposed to do? I'm like, I don't know. We could talk to each other for like five minutes until it connects again. And inevitably, one will be like, no, 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 it's okay. I downloaded, uh, I downloaded a, a, an episode of The Office so we can watch it. Like, it's okay. We can make it through. <laughs> we can survive. We can transcend this suffering. <laughs> no, that's, what, in, in the almost, you're never disconnected. You're never off the grid, which means that you're never without hope, right? Regardless of, regardless of the situation, there's some purpose, there's some hope, there's some learning that can take place. Now, this doesn't mean that God sends this kind of suffering, but in the midst of all of it, there is always hope because God has a purpose for it and create purpose and meaning out of it. So I don't know what you're going through today. You may think you're in a hopeless situation, but I can tell you that God has a purpose for that situation. Again, he is not responsible for it, but he knows how to use it so that not only is his name glorified and lifted up, but you also will learn something. You will become a stronger 
and better person through it as well. So you're never without hope no matter what the situation is because you're constantly connected to Jesus. But it's also an understanding in the almost that blessing is more than just things working out in your favor. If you've bought into the idea, and we talked about this last week, if you've bought into the idea that to be blessed is for things to go well, and that we might be more blessed if things go better for us, then we're missing the point. Because in the almost, maybe it's the trial that is the best blessing that you need. Maybe it is the suffering where you grow the most, where your faith is most active. And when you're waiting for the miracle, that's when you become closest to God in the almost. And then in the almost, this is a big rule that applies. There's just no place for death. Jesus just wasn't interested in death. And death doesn't exist in the almost. There's always something more. You see, when Jesus says she's asleep, he wasn't wrong. Because Jesus was more powerful than death could and will ever be. You see, even death has to listen to Jesus. If creation happened because it listened, death is also banished because it has to listen too. Because Jesus had a word of life and has a word of life that transcends this concept of death. And by the way, that plays so well into our Seventh-day Adventist traditional theology of what happens when you die. That, that, that scripture speaks, I think, 62 times of death being like sleep. You see, because Jesus knows death is not a thing for him. It's not a thing he can't conquer. It's not a thing he can't overcome and surely has already overcome. And so in the midst of this, what does he do? He looks down at this girl and he sits down on her bed and he takes her hand, which by the way, would have been anathema, right? You can't do that. He's already sullied himself with a woman with the issue of blood and now he's touching a dead body. Man, he's gotta be out of the village for like a week. He reaches down and he touches this girl on the hand. He holds her hand and he says, Talitha kum. Which, and this is kind of a clinical translation of it, little girl, get up. It's not that. If you really do the word study, what you realize is it means little one which is a term of deep endearment. I call my daughter sweetie, so that's how I'm gonna translate it, which she likes, I think, until we do it in a group text, and then she doesn't like it so much anymore. But, but he sat down on the bed, he takes her hand, this cold little hand, and he says, sweetie, get up, get up. And death has to listen, and it goes away, and she wakes up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, it says, immediately, as Mark likes to say, stood up and walked around. And of course, they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Of course they were. Death has to listen to Jesus as well. Death just doesn't exist when Jesus is around. And then, and then, then I love what Jesus does next. Not the first part, but the second part, because he does this all the time. The first part says, Jesus then gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. Why? Because not everybody can handle what Jesus has for us. Not everybody can handle the overwhelming power that really is Jesus. So he tells everybody, listen, you don't need to talk about it, it's fine. But then he says to them, give her something to eat. And what that says to me is that Jesus is not only supernaturally concerned about her, but he's practically concerned about her as well. Because if you've had a 12-year-old eat at your table, a 12-year-old can eat a lot of food. And apparently she was hungry. I don't know if that means that death makes you hungry. All I know is this, Jesus cared about her practically as well. Question we have to ask is why these two stories together, right? Jairus and the woman only have one thing in common. Both are victims of desperate circumstances who have no hope apart from Jesus. Otherwise, they're not much the same. Jairus had position. The woman did not. 
Jairus, Jairus goes and tells Jesus what to do. Hey, come to my house, put your hand on my daughter, she'll be fine. The woman skulks, that's the word, skulks up to him and touches his hem, not telling Jesus what to do, but believing that that can heal him. He approached her from the front, she approached him from behind. But you know what's interesting? Jairus' position does not give him an advantage with Jesus. No, in fact, Jesus stops this errand that he was on for Jairus and he looks at the woman and he takes care of her and he talks to her. Jesus actually stops to help the woman and then he does something that's fascinating. Jairus, who had position, because have you noticed how many times Scripture has said he is the leader of the synagogue. He is one of the leaders of the synagogue. They made it very clear. This guy is one of the leaders. It's important for him, for everyone to know. Jesus looks at the woman and he says to her, we learned this last week, he says to her, daughter, which is the most important part of that text, because he doesn't just heal this woman. He gives her a greater position than Jairus ever had. He lifts her up. He, in all of her brokenness, he lifts her up and gives her position. And then he looks at Jairus and he goes, hey, don't be afraid. Keep believing like this woman. The story of the woman is a direct illustration of how Jairus was supposed to believe in Jesus. The story of the woman was an illustration of the faith we need to have in order to not be afraid. So how do we live our lives, in fear or in faith? Do you keep working on your faith so that you might have more or do you let your faith have you? How can we transcend the rules of this world? Not for personal gain, but to allow others to be able to see God expressing the almost in their lives. Listen, the truth is this, I have no idea what you're going through. Statistically, there are some of you who are living in deep fear right now because of the circumstances and situations that you're in. You do not know how you will get to the other side. You have no, no clear understanding of how this is gonna get fixed you hope that the situation comes together and things will be better. Stop hoping in that. That's misplaced hope, hope in Jesus. You're, you're, you're scared about what's next in your life and, and you just hope you get that job or you hope you, know, you, you, you keep the job that you're in because you made a mistake. You hope that you find the right person or you don't. Listen, to stop hoping in those things. Start hoping in Jesus because he sees much further than you. He cares much more deeply than you do. He knows how to work these things out for the good of those who believe in him. So stop misplacing your faith in the idols of competency, in the idols of, of possession, in the idols of hoping things work out and start hoping in Jesus and letting that be where your hope lies. Because if you do that, you move from fear to faith because in Jesus there is nothing but good that comes. This is what God is calling us to today. And these stories wrapped up together are trying to teach us that it doesn't matter where you're coming from, Jesus can be hope for you. And that's what he's giving us today in these texts. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being the God of hope. For, for even in the midst of death, defining what living hope really is. Lord, your grace is sufficient for us. It's all we need. There's nothing, nothing that transcends like you do. So Lord, may we put our hope in you. You who are our living hope. 
Amen.